Uh, let me uh, uh, first say to, uh, to our visitors, I'm, my name's Preston, one of the elders here filling in today, um, and let me ask you to find Psalm 13 in your Bibles, please. I'm picking up on something that I made a brief reference to last week, and it seemed to resonate with several, so seemed good and wise to, to unpack that theme a little more. So we'll, we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, one of my favorite movies um, from, I think, 1987, it's called The Princess Bride. Is that anybody else's favorite? I love it. Uh, I think it cost $10 to make, but it was <laughs> it, it's one of my favorites. There are a lot of quotable lines. We still quote lines. We were at a camp a couple of weeks ago, English camp a couple of weeks ago, and I forget who was on a hike with somebody, and we were quoting lines from this movie. So anyway, one of the lines, though, that, that uh, often comes to mind is from the main character, Wesley, who's speaking to the princess, and he tells her this. He says, uh, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. There it is. You recognize the meme, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm not selling you anything this morning, but I am going to tell you differently. Uh, because this, this is almost true. There's truth in it, but it's not quite what we need to say. Because pain is all around. It's, it's part of our lives. It's part of society, both here and everywhere. But thankfully, that is not the whole story. There is pain, but there is hope. And yet, that seems to almost complicate it for us, because in our hearts, we know that our hope is in God. We also know that God could prevent our, our pain our heartaches, our trials, and he doesn't. He could fix it immediately, instantly, with a word. And he doesn't, at least not uh, when or how we expect. And so sometimes it's, it's like we're fighting two battles, or we have two struggles. One is with our pain, and one is with God. He doesn't operate in our way or our, our timetable. Well, God's word does give us a path to hope, even while the pain persists. And while we wait for what he's promised... We, we walk a path that is, that is marked with lament. I don't know if that's a word that, that you're familiar with. Um, but uh, there's a, a great book by a guy named Mark Vroegop. I actually practiced saying this. Vroegop. It's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Very helpful book on lament. And he defines lament this way. It's the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. There's a lot in that definition, right? There's, there's an honesty, and if you've spent much time in the Psalms, you know that, that there's an honesty in prayer there that, um, well, it doesn't come natural to me. Maybe it comes more naturally to you, but uh, I, sometimes I read some of those prayers and I think, you really, you really say that to God? And they did, and they do, and and we can with the right heart. There's an honest cry. There's the hurting heart. There's the wrestling, the struggle. There's the paradox, the mystery. There are things we don't understand. Wrestling with both, both of these things, the pain of life and the promise of God's goodness. Well, lament, laments are found, of course, in the book of Lamentations. That's the book right after Jeremiah in the Old Testament. That's where Jeremiah the prophet is, is mourning or lamenting the, the destruction of Jerusalem. Laments are often are also found in several of the Psalms. 
We'll focus today on Psalm 13 because it, it gives us a, a good pattern for, for lament that I think that, that you and I will find helpful. So let's read together Psalm 13. It says, um, the, the superscript above it, as you can see, For the director of music, a psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So before we go further, let's not miss this, what technically is the superscription, the, it's just a little background note before the beginning of the psalm. It says, for the choir director, Psalm of David. That tells us that, that David wrote this and that it was intended to be uh, probably set to music and sung by, if not at least sung to, God's people. So it was a part of Israel's corporate worship. So, you know, let's just... Just think about that for a minute. I wonder what it was like for the choir director the day David dropped those lyrics off. You know? <laughs> like, oh yeah, Lord is my shepherd. Oh no, okay. Different, different theme. Minor key for this one, right? What if Herod had opened us this morning, you know, said, okay, everybody welcome to ICP and now let's stand and sing. And, you know, how long, Lord? <laughs> Will you forget me forever? Um, there are times when, when that's the song to sing, right? Uh, we may not, um, I've only heard a couple of songs that are really, you know, focused on this. Most of our songs acknowledge the pain and challenge us to trust and set Christ before us, and that's good. But we do have other songs to sing. This is not the only one, and I'm thankful for that. So let's look at Psalm 13. It really falls into three uh, fairly simple, clear parts. There's a complaint there is a request and there, there are choices. So we'll look at complaint in the first two verses. Um, so he, he starts off uh, with, with these four how long questions. Yes, he says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So these are four how long questions. This is a powerful question because it assumes there is a God who hears and answers and will act. Often our first impulse is to ask why something happens. And you actually do find why in, uh, in the laments in Scripture. Jesus himself asked why when he was on the cross. He got an answer. We'll look at that some other time. But there is a word of caution because if you, if you ask God why from a heart that, well, if you think you're somebody and God owes you answers, that's not going to work, okay? But if you come before God, understanding that with, with humility that God is a God of, who, who does nothing without purpose and without meaning, then it's only natural for, to ask, for us to ask God, why, why is this happening? And you, you may not get an answer soon, but if you're like me, you get enough answers that you know there are, there are more down the road. Um, how long is also, it is asked of God 16 times in the Psalms. We also find it in the New Testament, asked by uh, people 
uh, God's people once. Uh, Jesus actually asked it once, but it wasn't very flattering. He said, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I put up with you? Well, we'll move on from that one. That's a little uncomfortable. But uh, in, in Revelation 6, in verse, verses 9 and 10, it says that uh, when the angel opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So these are people who have been martyred for Jesus' sake. They are with the Lord. They are conscious. They are aware of what is going on earth. And they ask God, how much longer are you going to wait until you fix this, until you make this right? That's, that's kind of awkward. I mean, does that make you uncomfortable? I mean, I would think people in heaven would be nicer. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And these, and these are saying, you know, drop the hammer, let it go. Why are you waiting? Like, really? And, you know, and the answer is like, God says, yeah, uh, here's a robe and wait because there's more coming. Okay, thanks. Well, you know, and again, these are people who've died but not been raised. So do they have bodies? Is the robe is like for a special occasion. I don't know. So um, revelation, that's, that's another one. We'll have to spend some more time on another day. But again, you find people who have died, they're in God's presence. And they're asking how long. And God tells them to wait. And so it's, what I'm, I'm saying is it's not necessarily wrong to ask how long. Okay, this is something good and godly people in God's presence ask. And they also have to wait as we do. Now we don't know the circumstances that led David to write this. It may have been during that time when when King Saul was pursuing David, trying to kill him, you know that story. David had been promised the kingdom. He'd been anointed king. The big problem was that position was already occupied. Uh, Saul was king, and he viewed David not as the promising young successor, but as a threat to his own kingdom. So he spent a lot of energy trying to remove David and kill him. So David was on the run like an outlaw for, for some time. And this may have been the period in which, which he wrote this. We're, we don't, sometimes you have historical notes on the Psalms. Uh, this is not one. Whatever the circumstances, it's obviously this was a time of, of deep distress for David. So let's look at these, these questions. The first one is, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Now, who asks a question like this? You go to the pushta, you know, you, you push the button, you get your number, and you wait, you kind of see how many people are there, and you think, okay, okay, okay. And then you, if you've been there, you know, there's a little chime that rings every time the number advances, and Depending on which machine and what you're there for, you know, you might be number 606 and there might be, you know, number 32 and then you see 607 just got served and you think, well, this is not right, you know. So do you go up to the window then and you say, how long? You're going to forget me forever? <laughs> no, you don't. Right, you just, you just know. And David isn't saying have you forgotten me? He assumes he's been forgotten. He's just asking, how long <laughs> until you remember me? Okay, the, the honesty here is, is breathtaking, right? Um, I, I have to train myself to pray with this kind of honesty. He assumes he's been forgotten. He asks, if, in effect, if God is ever going to remember him. Now, maybe married couples have conversations like this. Uh, I know some do. Well, <laughs> I know one does. Um, you know, 
Maybe a, a door that squeaks in your flat, and every time it turns on the hinge, you know, you hear the sound, and husband says, yeah, I'll fix it. It's just a little, little graphite, a little oil. Not a problem. But he forgets. After a time, gentle reminder or two, and the wife says, are you ever going to fix this door? Now, uh, let me just say a word to the husband. She is not trying to schedule something, okay? That's not the point here. She's expressing a feeling like this is never going to happen. <laughs> and Amen. there you go. And, and, uh, and husbands, that's the time to answer quickly because if you go deeper, it's the, you know, it, it just gets worse. So I've heard. Um, so she's, she's not trying to schedule things. She's not exploring the, the philosophical ramifications of, you know, something ever happening, possibilities. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an emotional, it's a feeling. It needs to happen, it needs to be fixed. So husbands, again, take some advice from me. Uh, don't respond with something like, uh, yes, I think it is realistic to expect that at some point in the near or distant future, the door will be fixed. That's not the problem, okay? That's not what's going on. Well, David no doubt knew in some part of his being that the Lord doesn't forget his people, and yet that is exactly how he felt. And, and if you've ever been forgotten, it's terrible. It's a, a terrible feeling. I, um, um, <laughs> when I, I was in fourth grade, I was in school, and we had school buses in the U.S. that take you home. And um, teacher kept me too long in class, Complicated story, wasn't my fault. Um, but I missed my bus. Okay. Well, the thing is, of course, that was upsetting to me. As I was like, I don't know. I don't remember how old it was, nine or ten, something like that. The thing was, I had three sisters on that bus. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I can still hold that over them, you know? I mean, this has been like 50 years, and I can still remind them of that day. So that was all right. But one afternoon, when we were living here, uh, our, our son Andrew was in the Czech Shkolka preschool, and I went to pick him up, and he had stayed all day. So it was, you know, later in the afternoon, and, but it was winter time, okay? So, you know, at that time, it gets dark earlier, so by the time I'd gotten there, even though I'd gotten there in plenty of time, um, it was getting dark, and he thought I had forgotten him, and he was crying, and he's upset, and you know, at that point for him, it didn't matter that I dropped him off that morning and said, I'll be back this afternoon to pick him up. He didn't remember that. It didn't matter that every afternoon, either Karen or I had picked him up. Every <laughs> afternoon. That didn't matter. Track record didn't matter. Morning problems didn't matter. All he knew was in that moment, he'd been forgotten. And it you know, took a few minutes and some chocolate to get over that. But we, we, we got past it. We all know in our better moments that God doesn't forget us. But when you do feel like this, you can go to him and you can express that to him and say, God, I feel like you've forgotten me. You can say that. He knows you feel that. You can acknowledge that. You can bear your soul before him. And I would encourage you to do that. It may not be easy. It's, I, I find it difficult to be that honest, I'll, I'll admit. 
For some reason, I think God is impressed if I, you know, if I put on a brave face or something. He just chuckles behind a cloud, I guess. So, Second question, he says this, how long will you hide your face from me? Now, this is, expresses an even worse pain. To, to be forgotten is hard, but forgetting is unintentional, right? I mean, you, you can't forget something intentionally. I mean, f- you know, forgetting, best I recall, <laughs> is uh, unintentional. Uh, it's, it's really hard to forget anything on purpose. Okay, in 1977, I was working for my cousin in his store. He and I were talking about this very thing, about how, and he was saying, you know, when you try to forget something, it's like it makes it easier to remember. And he said, he said, it's like if I say forget elephant, you can't forget it. Okay, here we are 44 years later, and I don't remember anything else he said in that conversation, but I remember that he said, forget elephant. 44 years later, I still can't forget it. And now I've passed it on to all of you. So we forget things unintentionally. But David is saying this is not unintentional. He's saying, God, you know I'm desperate. You know I'm seeking you. You know I'm broken. And you are avoiding me. You know, you've lived in this part of the world long enough. You know what it's like to be second in line. And the person in front of you gets held. And as they turn away, you step up to be held. And, you know, the curtain closes or the little window closes or the door closes. You expected help, but like, no, door's shut. Office is closed. You missed it. And this is deeply personal because it's it's intentional. This is the same David who wrote Psalm 23 that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are with me. And yet here he says, God, you, you are avoiding me. You know, you, uh, it's, you, you, you feel the tension in this, right? So, again, when you, when you feel that, you feel the, the, the silence of God that is hard for us sometimes, you can take that to him because, again, he knows. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows the pain of your heart. You don't have to put on a brave face. His next question is this. He says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Here, David expresses the pain of abandonment, being left with nothing but his thoughts. And our thoughts take us to dark places sometimes, right? The, the what ifs, the if onlys, the, the why did I, why didn't I, what, what will we do, what will they do? You have your own list of questions, right? They, they can dominate our thinking. There are times of confusion and bewilderment. We need light and clarity. And it seems like God just is, is silent and is just waiting. But of course, he's not silent, right? Creation declares his glory. He's spoken to us abundantly through his word. And yet we pick up the Bible sometimes to read, to look for answers. And it, I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like you're reading somebody else's mail. It's just like, is, is this, this is just not, not hitting me this morning, this time. We long for something that will reach into our hearts. And until it comes, we feel like we're just left just with our thoughts. That's all we have. But it's never just our own thoughts, because we all have voices in our heads. At least I do. (laughs) I hope you do. I don't think I'm the only one. See, there's the voice of the devil in those moments that tells you that you're worthless and that you are abandoned, that you are forgotten, and there is no meaning in all of this, and there is no hope. 
And, there's a, and that sounds, the devil's voice sounds a lot like your thoughts in your head. Okay? Wouldn't it be nice if he spoke with that awful demonic voice like in the movies? But he doesn't. It just sounds like your thoughts in your head. And you start believing. And then there's the voice of God who says you are loved. And this does matter. And it will be okay. And there is hope. And that sounds like, well, sounds like your thoughts in your head. And you wonder, is that really God? And you, you wonder if you're crazy. Well, you're not. You're just, you're just in a battle, okay? Now, the second part of this question tells us where David's thoughts took him, where our thoughts often take us, to, to despair, right? When, especially when it happens day after day after day, which it often does because God's ways are not our ways. His timing is, is different from ours. Yeah, we were at an English camp and talked about uh, one, one evening about the resurrection of Jesus, story of Thomas and and uh, you know, I, I always marvel at you know, Jesus appearing to the disciples the evening of the resurrection. You know, Judas is gone. Thomas is not there, so there's ten. And they tell Thomas, you know, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, I won't believe till I, you know, I put my, my hand in the nail-scarred hand and that kind of thing, touch the side. Jesus makes him wait a week. <laughs> you know, it's like, why not just take care of this tonight? He has his reasons. Thomas knows now, and it's okay. But you wait a whole week, you know, his, his ways indeed are, are beyond us and his timing is impossible to figure out. But he is, he is good and he can be trusted. And in those times when you feel left alone with your thoughts, take that to God. Take that to him because he is your father. You can bear your soul to him. He will, he will hear you. His next question is how long will my enemy triumph over me? And again, David could be referring to this this time when Saul was pursuing him, trying to kill him, we don't know that. What, all, what we do know is that whatever the pain in our lives, whatever we are suffering, we do have an enemy. We have an enemy who would like nothing better than to drag us down into unbelief and bitterness and despair, things that destroy us and bring shame to the Lord in the process. Um, so, again, what, we have to be just honest as we come before God. So we do need to... Remember what we already know. So if I tell you to forget this, you'll remember it, right? <laughs> I won't play that mind game with you. But just know, God does not forget us. He does not avoid us. He doesn't leave us alone with our thoughts. He will defend us against our enemies. He will vindicate our trust. And when we feel that tension between God's character and promises and our reality, go to him. Go to him, pray honestly, bear your soul before him. He knows how you feel. Honest prayer is really the first step in moving toward hope. So the second thing David gives us here is a request. That's in verses 3 and 4. He says, look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. For David, it, again, as we've already said, it might have truly been a life and death situation. It may be it just felt that desperate. In his request, David is asking for clarity, for light on the path, for renewed hope. And if God doesn't come through, not only will David suffer, it will look like David's enemy, God's enemy, will have triumphed. And, and this just, just can't be. So maybe you feel this desperate today. Again, pray honestly about it. You can ask the Lord for help. Again, Mark Vroegel observes several types of requests that we find in the Psalms of Lament. There are requests like this in Psalm 3, 
It's like, do something. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Or rescue me from Psalm 9. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death. Psalm 22, be near. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. From Psalm 25, remember. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. From Psalm 28, let justice be done. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Now, this is always a sensitive one, right? Because we know we should not take revenge ourselves. We must leave that in, in God's hands. Um, and so it, it is still right to pray when you want revenge because we all want it sometimes, right? <laughs> I mean, and it's even the right thing to want sometimes. <laughs> Most of the time it's not, but sometimes it is. When we feel that impulse toward revenge, we have to go to God and trust God to handle that. So let justice be done. We can pray for help. Psalm 60, give us aid against the enemy. Pray for restoration. Restore us, O God, and make your face shine on us. Say something. Don't remain silent. Teach us. Psalm 86, teach me your way, Lord. Vindicate my hope in you. Psalm 35, vindicate me in your righteousness, Lord my God. Maybe these and others will, will help you, will give words to what your hearts feel in times of distress. We've seen his complaint, we've seen David's request, but we also see some crucial choices he makes as he moves from lament to hope, or moves toward hope in the midst of lament. So verses 5 and 6, you know, he, that begins with the word but or yet, but I trust in your unfailing love. It, this is the bridge to God's character and his promises. Uh, almost every lament has a, some kind of but or yet in it because the psalmist is moving from, from the lament and the sorrow and the pain to who God is, to his character and his promises. It's a small word, but it's powerful, right? But I trust. It's It's huge. So we dare not miss it. Yes, David complained. Yes, he pleaded with God. But he also lets his pain and his, his pleadings take him to God's character and God's promises. And this leads him to make some choices. The first one is to trust. I trust in your unfailing love. That's his, his covenant love. David uses God's covenant name, Yahweh, in, the, in his prayer. But this is it's translated into English sometimes. Steadfast love, unfailing love, loving kindness. The idea is his radical relentless covenant faithfulness to us. When we look back on his faithfulness, we look to his character, though we lament, make a choice to trust. We choose to trust the Lord when it looks hopeless, when, when the divorce happens, when trust is broken, when conflict arises, when the tumor is malignant, when the job is lost, when finances fail. We choose to trust. And that's when it counts. Okay, it's when you have no other, no other, nothing else, and you still you trust the Lord. That's when it counts. And then he says uh, in verse five, "My heart rejoices in your salvation." Of course, salvation uh, or deliverance. Uh, Israel could always look back to great things God had done to deliver them in the Exodus, in the Red Sea. David had seen. A deliverance personally and in the nation from Goliath and other things. So he could look back on those as well. So he could look back and see how God had, had saved and delivered him. We could look back to an even greater deliverance through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we choose to focus on Christ. 
who we are, what we have in Him, forgiveness and freedom, life, much more. We focus on the promise that God is at work. John Piper said it like this. This may be my favorite Piper quote. He says, in, uh, this is in his book, Future Grace. He says, I do not know where I would turn if I did not believe that Almighty God is taking every setback and every discouragement and every controversy and every pressure and every pain and stripping it of its destructive power and making it work for the enlargement of my joy in God. Nothing falls outside this. He is at work, and that we can rejoice in. It's hard when we can't see it, but we can trust. We, we choose to trust. Um, the third thing David said is, I will sing the Lord's praise for he's been good to me. So he, he makes a choice to worship. And again, that is a choice. I, I really appreciated what, what, how Herod opened us last week. He talked about receiving a difficult news, a loss of a friend, and then um, focusing on worship helped him be prepared for that day. And I've, I've found that. We found that in, in our lives many, many times. But that's not just alone. That also means corporately. It means us gathering and, and we, we sing the gospel. We share it. We hear it. We teach it. We see it displayed in the ordinances as we take communion in a few minutes. Um, we need it. We need it not just alone, but we need it together because these things refocus our heart where it belongs they they where it belongs they retunes our our faith hope and love to focus on christ so let me suggest if you're dealing with um unbearable pain things beyond your ability and um you you might find it helpful as an act of worship to write your own lament so you could uh, follow the pattern of psalm 13 with a complaint and ask for what you need and express your, your trust and your rejoicing and your, your um, worship. Or you could do something like uh, what is in Lamentations. I, mean, it's, I mentioned that earlier. If you've read that, it's, it's five chapters, but what you may not understand is that it actually is a literary masterpiece. Okay? So Jeremiah opens, and it, and it is an acrostic. He, he describes the destruction of Jerusalem using successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet multiple times. And so it's, it's kind of like a, a pain and suffering A to Z. <laughs> and at the heart of it, at the, in the center of Lamentations, is the verse that we probably know the best, right? Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's, that's the center of it. But all around that is, is pain and heartache A to Z. That might help. I've seen others help with, helped by this process of just sitting down, putting into words what is going on, and it helps them move toward hope in the midst of lament. So maybe you need to write your own masterpiece. In the, the late 1800s, there was a, a man, a, a Christian, his name was Horatio Spafford. He was an attorney. Uh, I think fairly wealthy uh, investor, real estate, things like the property in Chicago, but experienced enormous loss in the great Chicago fire of 1871, which, to your surprise, I was actually not around for. I was born some years after that. Um, after that, he planned to sail to England uh, with his family. He had a wife and four daughters. You see the daughter's picture there. And um, um, they planned to sail to England to help uh, the evangelist D.L. Moody with an evangelistic campaign. 
He was delayed, so he sent his wife and his children ahead of him. Unfortunately, their ship collided with another ship, and his wife survived, but his four daughters died. So, it's her pictures there. Soon after that, he sailed to England to meet with them, and as his ship passed near the location of the shipwreck that claimed his daughters' lives, he, he wrote these words that have become part of a, a hymn that's familiar to all of us. Um, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast or you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's, that's a lament. Yeah. The whole hymn is beautiful. I just, just picked the one verse. But uh, in, in the midst of that anguish, Spafford, in that moment, puts these words down. And you, know, you think about it in the, often, especially right after a tragedy, you can hardly speak, but it's the perspective of time. And I think that's what Spafford was also dealing with. I think that's what Jeremiah was dealing with. The perspective of time, he looks back. I don't think he wrote Lamentations the day after Jerusalem fell. I think he writes this sometime as he has time to think, and he, he writes it with care. Maybe, maybe you'll find that helpful. So just know that we can go boldly to the Lord with, with honest prayer, with our complaint. Not an arrogance that, that reminds God that we're somebody who deserves better, but in a humility that focuses on his character and his promises. We can go to him. He's our father. We can bring our pain to him. We can ask for what we need. Know that he'll give us what we need in his way and in his timing. It may not be what we ask for because... If we knew what God knew, we would want what God wants and wait for his timing. Where have we heard that before? And we can choose while we wait to worship and to trust and rejoice in him. And we can do this because and only because Jesus has died and risen again. And he is able to take every painful circumstance and strip it of its destructive power to enlarge our joy in God. And this is a better hope than anything this age offers. And he will vindicate your trust in him, in his way and in his timing. There is a future ahead of us that is so good and so satisfying that it will be worth every pain we suffer. So press on, pray honestly, ask boldly, trust, rejoice, and worship. As we prepare for communion, let's, let's take just a moment and in your heart, uh, just go to Jesus. Bring him the pain that you may be experiencing at this moment. Ask him for what you need. Make a deliberate choice to trust and rejoice and worship. And if, if that's not where you are today, thank him. Perhaps you can look back on those times and know that he will be enough if and when those times come your way again. Father, we thank you that you are good. You are deeply involved in and engaged with your people in our suffering. And we thank you that you do not abandon us.
And you know, Lord, there, there are people in this room that feel abandoned and forgotten. And I pray that today you would just speak words of hope to them. Grant us the strength to, to take whatever the next step is. Bring us to that place that we can choose to trust and rejoice and worship amid the pain and the tears. We thank you that you give us hope that indeed um, our life is not defined by pain. It is defined by an empty tomb. And you give us hope. You give us forgiveness. And you promise that nothing is in vain. And our labor is not in vain. And our, our hardships are not in vain. And all of these things are preparing us for, for a joy and a life with you that is beyond description. So we, we thank you. And as we prepare to take communion, we're reminded that you tell us we do this to remember your death until you come because you did not stay dead. You are alive and you are returning. We thank you for the price you paid that we cannot begin to imagine that allows us to be here today to have these moments together and to look forward to seeing you. So we thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.